Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today's um, scripture reading comes from uh, Luke chapter 19, verse uh, 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's a, that's a, a very interesting reading and we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, I, I wanted to uh, focus on a passage in 1 Corinthians today. And so uh, we're just going to ask the Lord to uh, uh, help us understand his word now. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it is an amazing thing how you can take uh, the words that are given to us through the scriptures and uh, they are life, they are powerful words that uh, uh, can change us and uh, we listen to it, but uh, miraculously you uh, speak to us in our situations. And uh, so let not the speaker um, be in the way of you working uh, your purposes and your uh, words of life to us and help us to understand and live in a way that is pleasing and honouring to you uh, through these words today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, start a new church and there's a buzz, there's an excitement, there's enthusiasm because a group of people will... Uh, who are committed Christians come together and they'll um, be excited to uh, be encouraging one another and also encouraging those around them to understand this great message that's given to us in the scriptures, the message of the cross. And uh, we know that uh, they look forward to seeing a change not only in themselves but a change in others around them. But as time goes on, uh, and it happens in churches both past and present, the joy wears down, the enthusiasm wears thin. Uh, People can dissociate and uh, 
the worldliness creeps in. This is what was happening uh, in the church that Paul established in Corinth uh, back around AD 54, around about that time. And this is the danger for any church and every church losing its way, neglecting the gospel. And it happens sometimes very slowly, almost imperceptibly, that when people sort of uh, lose that vision, lose that understanding of the gospel, that uh, the, the enthusiasm wanes. And people can be blinded into thinking that everything's going quite well. And, uh, of course, uh, when we look at Corinth, Paul spent 18 months there. This is uh, the Apostle Paul. You know, you'd think uh, that church would be going brilliantly. And then, of course, it was followed up by a great preacher called Apollos and the Apostle Peter, among others. But several reports had come back to the Apostle and they had written letters to Paul explaining some of the problems, some of the divisions that were going on. And so Paul writes to them uh, a number of letters and one of them is this 1 Corinthians and in it there's this statement, there's this thesis which, which helps them understand and helps us understand how we can stay on track as a church. And I'll read it to you, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18, but particularly verse 18. For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now to help us understand it, I've asked three questions from this uh, thing. First of all, what is The word of the cross. That's a phrase that Paul uses, but it's loaded with meaning. It has a significance. I presume, I would not presume that we necessarily understand it, or anyone that's listening would understand it completely. It has a very significant and profound meaning. What is this word, or this message, as the NIV puts it, uh, of the cross? And we might pick it up that, oh, well, it could refer to the actual conveying of that message. Uh, Paul says, I didn't come to baptise, but I came to preach the gospel. So how is this word to be conveyed? That's very important. I think that's tied in with this, uh, uh, what, what this means, the word of the cross. And thirdly, how does this word of the cross powerfully save people? I think that's a fairly basic question because that's what it says here. For some, it's perishing. Uh, It doesn't mean anything. And for others, it's working to save them. It's powerfully working to save them. So firstly, this word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It always helps to put a verse in context, doesn't it? To put it in, in its, uh, where it, it's situated and in, in the other uh, words around it, the other sentences around it. And Paul here is giving a contrast. We might see that if we understand the Greek word, uh, the word of the cross, the logos of the cross, is, is, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's, uh, it's powerful to those who are being saved. 
But in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with the logos of eloquent wisdom. You see, there's a contrast between the words of eloquent wisdom to the word of the cross. So there is a sense in which it is how it's being conveyed, how it's being told uh, that we should understand. But also, we need to understand that there is a content to this message or this word of the cross. We can use the word that way. We speak of our word or what we say. Well, what is the content of the word of the cross? And uh, Paul was Paul was sent to preach this word. So it has that double focus, the activity and the content. So now... Uh, we would understand it's not a simple thing. It's not a simple message that you can flash on a screen for 10 seconds like an advert and then just forget about it and move on. This uh, has consequences and ramifications for our past and our present and our future, for every person. And And we say, as Exchange Church, we say it's all about Jesus It's all about the gospel. We're a gospel-centred church. We're about connecting people with Jesus and growing people in Jesus. And that's another word that we can use for the word of the cross, the gospel. Paul uses it in verse 17 there in 1 Corinthians. So if you were asked this question, can you explain, please, what is the gospel? What is the word of the cross? What would you say to someone? How would you go about that? Many, I think, uh, would just explain it in some way, in these sort of ways. It's a bit of recorded history and leave it there. Uh, Jesus came along, died on a cross. Uh, he died for you. That's it. Oh, yes, yeah, he didn't stay dead. That's right. He rose again and he went back to heaven. And that's a, that's a good thing to know that this was history in, in, in the world. But often there's no significance given to that explanation. And people will say today into, to that sort of explanation, they say, really, that was 2,000 years ago. What's that got to do with me today? You believe the Bible, that's good for you. But I'm not really interested in it. It doesn't make a difference to me. So I'm not really sure that this message has any significance for me. And I think people will say that sort of thing or at least think that sort of thing because they can't see the significance of the cross. So others might say, well, you know, you've got to break it down a little bit, uh, sort of make it easy to believe. And so they'll say, well, Jesus was a good and kind man and wicked people came and nailed him to a cross and despite the fact that they did that, he let them off. And we should be kind to other people too. Jesus is a great example of kindness and love and that's what we should be like. And that's just a lot of sentimental sort of sweet talk. It doesn't help people at all. Uh, You can do wrong things and God still loves you. But that's like a badly run Sunday school lesson. It leaves no understanding of the truth of what Paul's actually driving at here. And uh, it doesn't matter how much we dress it up or dress it down, uh, people can end up perishing. That's why it's important. 
I remember going to Sunday school and I, I remember hearing uh, and watching boys and girls sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But it was many, many years later before I really got to understand what that really meant. It's true. But Jesus loves me, this I know. I didn't know. So to explain it, I would turn to some other verses in the scriptures, in, in this, in this uh, correspondence of Paul to the Corinthians to help see the significance. For example, if we turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we see there the history that, that connects with the significance of the cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, actually happened in history. We know that. And people don't want to sort of say too much about it, but it happened. It was a cataclysmic event in the history of the world. Our calendar is based on that, AD, BC and so on. And he died for our sins, it says there. That's the significance. He died for our sins, the wrongs we commit against the everlasting eternal God in view of God's standard. But then I would also go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this verse tells us, this is what it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, do we see that there is a significance that Jesus had no sin, he became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And if we go back in that chapter to verse 17 and 18, it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a change that's happened. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. That's an important word, reconciled. And then if you go back a little bit further, Paul's saying there, so therefore we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, if we try to get hold of that, so at one time, at one point in history, God treated someone who was righteous as if he was unrighteous. He treated that person as if he were you. And that is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. That is what 1 Peter 3.18 says. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And in 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that every person must come before God and stand before God to give an account of his life, whatever he's done or she's done in your bodies, in your lives, and receive what is due to us. Now, that doesn't sound like good news, does it? In fact, it sounds very much like bad news. But we discover in the message of the cross, the good news, that God doesn't count the wrongs against us, against people, against them, if, 
if they've accepted his son, he counts them against his son. And that happened at one time in history when Jesus died. He died once, it says, for our sins, for all sins, for all people who accept his gift of forgiveness. But do you accept it? Or is it just foolishness? You know, I mentioned this word reconcile. We understand what it is to reconcile our bank balance. If we've spent too much, we've got to start paying it off. Uh, we want to get it right. We want to balance out our, our expenses with what we earn, what our income. We understand the word reconcile, but it's a big theme in the Bible too. And this is the message at the very heart of the Bible. There are many themes we can, we can focus on, but reconciliation is a big one. In fact, you can go right back to when Israel was journeying through the wilderness and the establishment of the sacrifices. And why were those sacrifices necessary? Well, because they needed to draw close to God. And that was the only way they could, by the animal uh, sacrificial dying for their sins, so to speak. But it was never enough. And you know, this is, this is the thing. People intuitively know that we are not perfect. We muck up, don't we? Uh, you cannot make yourself right completely and, and stand before God completely righteous without sin. We have no hope of being perfect uh, hardly on any day in our lives. I remember the other week I was... Uh, placing an order for, for the company I work for and uh, I put the order through. It was a large order for about $5,000 for a piece of equipment, mistakenly putting the wrong price on it but with the right description. And the nice lady, about an hour later, the nice lady from the supplier rang and, uh, and told me to clean my glasses. In other words, you've made a mistake. I, I said... Uh, it looks perfectly all right to me as I looked at the order and the description and everything. And I said, it looks perfectly good. She said, you should clean your glasses. I said, how do you know I wear glasses? I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Um, and she said, well, look again. And I did look again. I said, what I'd done is I'd put the price above, uh, which was $500 less than the price that it should have been. I think we can see... Even in our own world, in our own places, we can think we see straight, but we can't. We think we are right, but we're not. And we can't really get right with God, the perfect God, in one day of our lives, let alone all our lives. We can't make our wrongs right. We can't be reconciled to a holy and perfect, righteous God. We're guilty and we can make many excuses. And we say we're not wrong, but the truth is there in front of us. And ultimately, we must pay for those wrongs. That's what the Bible says. We're powerless to change. And it doesn't matter how far we look back or how far we think we can improve, it doesn't change. In the newspapers, there's always the bad news of deaths and breakdowns and failures and disputes and wars. And you only have to look back 200 years, it was the same. 2,000 years, it was the same. The message of the cross is needed today. We all fall short of God's glory. 
that's, that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus hung on that cross and, and he didn't have any record of wrongs. And he was treated as if he did. And he exchanged his righteousness for, for our wrongs. We, we gave him our wrongs as we accept him. Or he took our wrongs and he gives us his righteousness. And it's all God's doing. And so he was raised to eternal life. The resurrection was proof that he, um, <clears throat> that, uh, he was he did live the perfect life, and that is the hope we have too, that we'll have uh, a perfect physical life in, in the day that Jesus returns. So that is the message or the word of the cross. What we really need above all else is to be right with God, to be reconciled with God. But can we? Can you do it? No, you can't. But there is one who has done it. That's Jesus. And, and by accepting him, he takes away our sin and we obtain his righteousness so that we can live a life pleasing to God. Now that's the content of the message. What about the way we convey it? And clearly what Paul's saying in this text is that there's a division, isn't there? We, we work out there's many divisions among people, where some of us are young and some of us are getting older. Some of us are a little bit more clever with technology and some of us aren't. Some of us are wealthy and some of us are not so wealthy. And we can go on, but what the Bible says is that this is a big division. The division of those who are perishing to those who are being saved. And... and uh, this division is, is very clear, or become very clear. And uh, while those who don't understand this division, uh, they say it's foolishness, those that do understand need to convey this message clearly. That's the message that Paul's telling the Corinthians here. It's important we understand this, because... Often we can make more of ourselves than we should or we promote ourselves. And what that does is it trivialises the message. It makes it ineffective. Paul says, lest we empty the cross of its power. Now, does this happen in churches today? Are there factions like there were back in Corinth? You know, I follow Paul, oh, I follow Apollos, or oh, I follow Peter, or oh, I follow Christ. Uh, this person has got a better qualification or this person has better abilities and so on it goes. Some people will be listening this morning and say, yes, I know about that. I was in this church and yes, this church was great. I did get the message of forgiveness. But they judged me and they, and, and they discriminated in this way or that way. And that's why I'm not there. And this is really the focus. It's a big focus in the, the letter to the Corinthians. The first four chapters, Paul talks about these divisions and these situations, these issues. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? How is their wisdom compared to God's wisdom? Have a look at God's wisdom. It might seem foolish, but it's, it's the power to save. And the world sort of sees it as folly making a dead man king. But this is God's wisdom for God's glory. So stop judging others, Paul's saying to the Corinthians. 
Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were very clever at all. But God showed you his wisdom. And therefore, you don't need to promote yourselves. You don't need to big note yourselves. Because what that does is take away from the message. You see, those Christians who put their focus on themselves empty the word of the cross, the message of its power, empty the power. And and a preacher or speaker who exalts himself, who boasts or brags, it confirms to, to many that, well, I don't think we want anything to do with that sort of uh, stuff, that sort of message. And it implies it doesn't matter what age we're at, whether we're young or we're old, that can happen even in the Sunday school lessons. We can dress it up or dress it down, brag and boast. But what it does is, is it takes away from the message. And what we want people to is to hear uh, Jesus, to hear God speaking to them, not to hear so much the speaker or not to look at the speaker. We are mere vessels. We are like the signposts pointing to the truth. And we are like anyone else. We are, we are no different in a sense. We are sinners saved by grace. And we do everything for God's glory. In fact, that is the principle Paul puts at the end of this chapter. He said, what do you want to brag about? What do you want to boast about? You want to glory in something or someone? Glory in God's glory. Boast about what God's doing in your life or in other people's lives. That's what you should brag about. But let me say it is difficult sometimes to do this because our culture, the the world around us, wants us to say and, and to exalt ourselves, to say how good we are at doing this or doing that following the latest fad or getting hold of uh, someone with all these great gifts. And it becomes then difficult to sort of go against that culture. Um, but then that was a problem in Corinth. They were following this one or that one. And today there are a number of people who have, who have experienced the Corinthian culture in, in today's society and they become de-churched people. Somewhere along the line, people got puffed up and they move away. Paul gives a very telling illustration to help us because it is difficult. And this would be completely understandable in those times, but it needs a little bit of explanation for us in these, this day and age. He said God displayed us in chapter 4 of uh, 1 Corinthians. He said God displayed us, the apostles, as last, men condemned to death, a spectacle to the world, men and angels. And what he's referring to is the victory parade of, of the, um, the army when it comes back to the city, comes back to Rome or uh, comes back after a conquest. And first of all, in the parade are the generals, the commanders, the elite troops. They're, they're leading the parade and everyone's uh, throwing their flowers and shouting and, and singing and saying hooray. And then follows the, the, the army and all the uh, victorious troops, the ones that are still alive. And then follows all the slaves, the people that were captured. They're, they're going to be used as servants or... Uh, people, they'll be um, helpful for the, uh, conquest, uh, the army that's uh, conquered. And, um, and then, last of all, comes those who are condemned to death. Perhaps they were the fighters in the opposing army. Perhaps they were the, the leaders of that country. 
and they will be taken to the Colosseum to be torn apart by the beasts or hung up on a cross to be crucified and to be, um, and to be made a spectacle of. And that's the way Paul's saying we are to the Corinthians. And that's in a way we should think about ourselves. That we don't want people to see us so much. We're just merely servants. We're being paraded by God as, as a spectacle in, in a sense. We are sinners. And uh, it's no good saying we're not, but there's a difference. We're also called saints and we're sinners who are reconciled. That's the difference. And so uh, this, is, this is, you know, Paul's sort of summary of it. We, we're the scum of the earth, he says. Now, can you imagine that? Uh, that we'll do a bit of a letter drops and we'll put something on the, on the, uh, the, le- the letterbox rubber or our welcome card. We're saying we're so glad that uh, uh, we're around here uh, being able to share our lives with you and, and share the gospel with you. Uh, the love of Jesus, we see ourselves though as the scum of the earth, the garbage of Shepparton. And we'd love to see you next Sunday. <laughs> And you see, we'll, we'll sort of laugh at that, but that's, that's the trouble. We, 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 we're in this affluent society. And uh, it's not that we will become like the scum of the earth, that we need to have nothing and be hungry and thirsty and homeless. Um, but it's, it's our view of, of ourselves, not exalting ourselves, but exalting God. That's the key thing here. Paul says this, another summary statement. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. That's it. And it's a stumbling block to those who are religious and it's foolishness to those who are irreligious. But it is the power and it is the wisdom of God. So our faith is not in ourselves, but it's in God's wisdom and it's in God's ways that powerfully change us. That's important to understand. Not only the content of the message, but how it should be conveyed. But finally, how does God work to change a person? How is God powerfully working uh, for their good? Verse 18 says, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this word power is, um, is an interesting word. It's, it, we, uh, the word in Greek is dunamis. It's where we get uh, the word dynamite from in English. And that's, uh, that in a sense conveys um, a, a sense of the meaning that it's powerful. It, it breaks apart rocks. It, it, it um, explodes and it, it changes people. It moves mountains. It, it's uh, things that are impossible to move, it makes possible. And we can see many examples of that uh, in people's lives, but particularly when we look at the Gospels, when we look at the accounts in the New Testament, we see people's lives dramatically changed. Little Zacchaeus, wasn't he an interesting fellow? The three things that it says about Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, he was very rich and he was very small. But look at the radical change that happened to this, this little man. What did he say? I'll give up half of all my goods to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, if I've cheated anyone, I'll give him four times back. So if you'd been cheated of $100, he'd give you 400 If it was $1,000, he'd give you 4000 
Wow, what a change. This little scheming, conniving, money-grabbing man changed his whole view of life. He sought to be big in the world and he wasn't satisfied. And when Jesus came along, he came and humbled himself. And those that were mumbling about that Jesus was associating with sinners, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. The power of God invaded Zacchaeus's life. And we could go on and look at many other examples. The woman at the well, the Ethiopian man, uh, Lydia in Acts 16, the, the, the lady that had it all together with worldly success, but then she, her heart was open because God, uh, God gave her that message. The power of God invades lives, but how does it happen? Well, you know, we can never go beyond the cross. What we see here in verse 18 is those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And there's a present and continuing, we, we understand in English there's three tenses, past, present and future. Greek's got another couple but won't go there. But this is the present tense, those who are being saved. It's not that they were saved or will be saved, they are being saved. But if we go to some other places where it explains the gospel, for example, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, therefore, grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. So the, the emphasis there is on the past. You have been saved, period, full stop, finished, completed work. But then if we go to Romans 10, verse 8 and 9, What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not a present thing. That's not a past thing. It's talking about you will be saved. It's a present continuing future. So we have all three tenses, in a sense. We can find them through the Gospels and through the the New Testament. How the Gospel changes us by the power of God. We understand the Gospel. The man who knew no sin became sin. Jesus died and took away our unrighteous deeds and thoughts and words in his body. And he died for us, the the ungodly. And that past event has significant significance for those who believe in him today but particularly in the future let me um, illustrate with with a book or a, a, a page sorry if we had this if, if this uh, page represented and i'm using a michael bennett illustration from christianity explained i know but if this was your life and this had every deed every word every thought every inclination every place you've been this was a book of your life this is a description of all your life and there it is you stand before god and that's your record you wouldn't want anyone else to see that record because in it there are some good things but there is a lot of things that you don't measure up to god's standard and so what jesus has done he came and he took that record of your wrongs onto himself And now as you stand before God, you are completely righteous, legally righteous before God. And Jesus took those sins and took them away and buried them. 
and he rose again. And, and what Jesus has done is give us his righteousness. So we are righteous in him. And so as God looks at us, he sees us as completely righteous because he sees us in Christ. That's what it says. So then um, this all happens at that moment, that, that future, that time in the past uh, is brought to us now. But also in terms of, uh, and, and that's a change, that's a cataclysmic change. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. That's what happened with Lydia, the Ethiopian eunuch and the Philippian jailer and so on. But then in the future, there's also another dramatic change because what God says, you will be saved. And that is that when we stand before God, uh, he will, and when Jesus comes again, he will give us uh, a new body, an imperishable body. We have eternal life. Not only... Um, is this just uh, a, a legal fact, but it's a physical fact. Physically, we're going to die uh, unless Jesus comes again. But if Jesus, when Jesus comes again, we'll be made alive. We'll have eternal life and our bodies will be renewed, as is the heavens and the earth. That is, that is the, the past and the future but how does this relate to us right now? Well, um, you know, and, and, and we, we, we love these great hymns uh, that remind us of this, uh, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, uh, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And we don't have uh, that complete uh, thing yet. There is a hope, uh, the future hope. But um, the cross is not just confined to the past or about the future. It's also for the present. And how do we think about this? Well, you see, the judgment we deserve was placed upon Jesus uh, and the significance of that is that we have no sin, but we do... Will, we do don't always measure up in this day at present. And we struggle. We are in this struggle. We have temptations. We have um, struggles with sin. And what, what, uh, what God tells us is that we are to continue to apply the cross to our lives. Uh, the word of the cross is powerful. It is powerful it is an ongoing change that you are being saved. You see, how does it work? Well, when we look at the cross, it speaks to every situation that we face, taking away our wrongs. It speaks to when life's hard, when we face the pains, the physical pains, the emotional pains, the mental pains, the temptations, the injustice, the guilt. It speaks to all those situations. And how does it do that? Well, we have to look at what Jesus did. Did he, you know, what held him on the cross? What held him there? It was a, a voluntary death. Uh, he didn't need to die, did he? Because he was without sin. So what kept him on the cross? You know, at the, at, when he was uh, being arrested, uh, 
Peter cut off the, the, the servant of the high priest's ear, uh, Jesus put it back on again and he said, you know, I could have called on 12 legions of angels, but this is not what I'm here for. I'm here for you. I'm here for this purpose. He came and lay down his life willingly. He didn't have to die, but he did. And he suffered the torments of hell, separated from the Father, the creator of the universe, the Son of God. And what kept him there was his love for you. For this very purpose, I've come to this hour, he said, to bring glory to God. And he wants that for you, his love for you, nothing else. His love for you, his, he, um, he laid down his life. And uh, so therefore when we face whatever situation we face, it's nothing compared to what Jesus faced. But it's also the fact that he gave up his life. And so when we, when we are tempted to sin, the cross has, uh, speaks to that situation. The cross says, you know, why, why do you want to do that? Uh, do, you know, Jesus went through all the suffering for you. Uh, do you think your, your sin will cancel out my love for you? Uh, sometimes we say, well, why would God love me? Uh, why would God do that? But uh, you can't break his love. You can't go past the cross. Because this is the the one who is righteous without sin, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And he loves you. Now, we might say, well, I'm a believer and that's, that's what I need to do. But what about those who haven't yet come to that understanding, that knowledge? What about those who are saying, well, I'm not so sure I should accept it? Then... All I'm saying is that Christ is of no value to you if you come to that point. So long as you remain too proud or too bound in justifying yourself, you cannot be transformed. You cannot be changed by the power of the cross through the word of the cross. The message, unless you lay hold of the cross, unless you grasp the cross yourself and take it in and accept what Jesus has done for you, then all this is of no value to you. You know, it's like, oh, well, the view from Mount Major is fantastic. You want to go up there on a clear day and you can see for miles. And people can say that, but unless you go there and see it, you can't appreciate, you can't experience that, that view. Or if, if someone says these apples are so sweet and so juicy and so delicious, you just need... Uh, you need to believe what I'm saying, but you can't really understand it until you take hold of that apple and taste and see how good it is. Or you can drive past a coffee outlet like I did for months and people say, yeah, it's great coffee, it's great coffee. But until I was taken there, I could not really say much about the coffee at all. You see, and if you receive a diagnosis from the doctor and this is the bad news you don't want to hear it and the doctor says you've had an illness that is not going to go well for you it's going to lead to your death if left untreated and you'll say well, how do I treat it what do I do give me the give me the cure please help me and and you'd be silly to, not to ask that 
But if someone comes to you and says, you have terminal cancer of sin and there is a complete cure, that's called the gospel. Will you take hold of it? You can say, well, I can go and figure this out myself. But that will not change the fact that you cannot cure yourself. And to think so, it's foolish. And of course, there are many other stories of people who find hope and find love and have faith in life. But the message of the cross says there's no other way. There's no other way to be right with God except through Jesus. And you ask, so what should I do now? Well, you should pray. Perhaps you'll pray with me these words I'm about to pray. And, uh, and then what you should do is tell someone, tell a Christian that you've prayed it, that you really want to believe and trust what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you now. And we admit that we are weaker and more sinful than often we can ever believe. But as we hear the message of the cross, what we see and what we come to understand that we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope for. And we thank you for paying for our wrongs. We thank you for bearing my punishment. I thank you for offering me forgiveness for all my wrongs and please accept that I just want to turn away from sin and continue to receive you as my saviour each and every day that we may look forward to the, the, the sure and certain hope that one day we'll be given new bodies and that we, your redeemed, will be with you in this new heavens and this new earth. Lord, we are open books before you. And we thank you for your redeeming love, for your grace and for all the promises of your word. For those that have prayed this today, Lord, work in their hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 